Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Kate Woda. I'm pleased today to share a presentation from the IO360 2020 Summit in which Foundation Medicine's Dr. Lee Albacher addressed HLA loss and the impact of immunotherapy. So thank you to everyone for sticking around. I'm almost glad that I'm going last because uh, my talk will touch a bit on big data, uh, a bit on checkpoint inhibitors, and then a bit on uh, antigen-targeted strategies that might be affected by HLA loss. So here we go. Okay, so first about where did the data come from? So Foundation Medicine is a provider of genomic profiling. Uh, the platform itself is FDA-approved broadly for all solid tumors, and then there are a number of companion diagnostic claims stacked on top of that that link particular, uh, and, uh, particular mutations to particular therapies. Now, uh, after a patient's tumor is data, we harmonize it, and we put it into a database we call Foundation Core, which now has roughly 400,000 tumor profiles, and uh, roughly 100,000 of those have HLA loss. Um, okay. So that's, uh, that's the genomic data. Uh, let's move forward. Okay, so we also partnered with Flatiron Health, who is a provider of electronic uh, health records, uh, abstract data from that to create real-world evidence data sets, uh, and then we combine those to create a real-world clinico-genomic database, or CGDB as we call it, which has uh, roughly 50,000 patients. So this is uh, real-world data, genomics, plus, uh, plus outcomes. So the first thing we wanted to do with this data set was recapitulate known genomic associations, real-world data sets. The patients are sicker. The data is noisier. Um, and so uh, this is a bit of a mouthful at the bottom, but we created a cohort which, and I'll read it backwards, uh, so non-squamous, non-small cell lung cancer, EGFR, ALK, wild type, they don't uh, respond anyway, and then uh, second-line checkpoint inhibitor monotherapy treated uh, because the all-comer label makes that the study. So if we look at known genomic associations, of course, RISV was the uh, first to publish on tumor mutational burden. So those patients whose tumors are high, uh, have a high tumor mutational burden, perform better. Uh, I've, of course, this is a continuous variable. I've just picked a cutoff of 10 because it's somewhat near the median. But those patients with a high tumor mutational burden uh, in teal do statistically significantly better than those with a low mutational burden. Uh, another genomic association, which was first described by John Haymack at MD Anderson in collaboration with my team at FMI, uh, shows that patients whose tumors harbor an SDK11 alteration, uh, this is loss of function in this case, uh, do statistically significantly worse than those who have an intact SDK11 gene. Okay. So uh, to, to introduce HLA-1 loss real quick for, for the audience, but I will just in case there's anyone who hasn't seen this yet. Um, so the major histopathicability class 1 complex is what presents neoantigens to CD8 T cells. It can be encoded by uh, three different genes. I'm sorry, the long chain can be encoded by three different genes, HLA, A, B, and C. I'll collectively refer to them as HLA-1 uh, in this talk. And of course, McGranahan um, et al. showed a couple of years ago this really interesting mechanism of immune escape whereby uh, a, a tumor cell can lose its either maternal loss of heterozygosity event, which uh, abrogates presentation of neoantigen and allows that tumor to escape. Okay. 
So thinking more broadly uh, about biomarkers, I really like these. Uh, this is a review by Hedgay and Chen. What I like about this is the circular nature of a, of a continuing immune tumor kind of interaction. And so I've put some of the relevant biomarkers I'll be talking about today. So if you start at kind of the, the bottom of the circle, you have a tumor which releases antigens. Those antigens prime T cells. And of course, we think of tumor mutational burden as a proxy for neoantigen load. Those T cells then have to go to the tumor. Uh, and then antigen has to be presented again on HLA. And then, of course, also is uh, expression of PDL1. So I think I hope to show uh, that HLA1 loss is, of course, mechanistically related to tumor mutational burden through the presentation of neoantigens. But in a way, it's also related to PDL1 expression because both are immune evasion mechanisms. So uh, the diversity of, of the HLAs makes uh, any measurement of them particularly challenging. And so to, to determine loss of heterozygosity in most systems is a pretty simple uh, equation. You basically take your copy number model, and then you throw in a minor allele frequency, and then you can fairly easily determine the, the uh, zygosity of any locus. So with HLAs, it, it's a big black box. Um, so first, you have to genotype your patient. Uh, you have to determine if they're germline or not, of course. That kind of takes them off to a different track. Uh, you then have to realign all of those reads you just aligned to now a patient-specific genome, and that allows you to get that custom SNP uh, allele frequency determination. Okay, so for this talk, I'm just going to focus on somatic loss of HLAs. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about germline diversity. I'm not going to touch on that now. And for the purpose of this talk, somatic uh, loss of one of the alleles is sufficient to make the sample deemed uh, HLA loss, although in actuality, most uh, samples lose all three. Okay, so some, why did we do it this way? Some methodological considerations. So this is the formula of McGranahan. They used a 0.5 cutoff using this formula. This formula looks pretty gnarly, but it's just kind of a basic copy number modeling formula uh, adjusted for loss of heterozygosity. Uh, since this paper has been published, it's been appreciated that there are amplifications at this locus also, and this formula does a particularly bad job at handling that scenario. So, so if we're already looking for amplifications via our copy number model, we figured we'd just stay with it to do the, the loss of heterozygosity also. And then finally, the diversity of HLAs can also just screw with the uh, sequencing assay itself. So this is a, this is a plot that's showing the effect of uh, different of the baits in a targeted sequencing assay for those different HLA alleles. So this is a histogram of a, of a particularly bad misbehaving pair of alleles. On the center of that histogram should be at 0.5, but you can say, see because of the, the differential specificity that there is a huge skewing of measured allele frequency. And so what we did is we went and we modeled the interaction of the bait with the target sequence. And so doing that, we're able to computationally put those allele frequencies back at 0.5 where they should be. And so you can see some of these, uh, these cases here, which are out towards the tail. Those are presumably the, a the HLA lost. You can see that if you don't adjust for this, most of uh, the samples will be probably inaccurately read as HLA loss. Okay, so we wanted to uh, confirm some of the uh, findings from McGranahan et al. This is uh, Foundation Medicine's internal data. 
And so this is a volcano plot. So if you go up the y-axis, you're more significant. If you go more to your right, you're more uh, associated with HLA loss. If you go to the left, you're associated with lack of HLA loss. Uh, and so we see association with high mutational burden, uh, tobacco signature. Uh, what else is on there? Metastatic tumors. And uh, PDL1 positivity is towards the bottom. However, I will say it has PDL1 uh, staining information. So the lack of a high p value is just due to a numbers differential there. Um, it's still quite significant. Uh, on the converse side, no HLA losses, low mutational burden, EGFR, uh, non-metastatic uh, non biopsy sites, although the tumor could be metastatic, uh, and PDL1 negativity. So HLA-1 loss does stratify patient outcomes in this CGDB data set. So we subsetted the cohort from before down to 245 patients based on uh, samples where the HLA was sequenced and a number of QC metrics we also applied. So the HLA loss group is in red and the HLA, where's my pointer, intact group is in teal here. And so the hazard ratio of having an intact HLA in this real world data set is about 0.68. Now, you can also get sequenced uh, any point on medicine, so it was important for us to make sure this wasn't kind of a resistance factor. And so we're looking at the proportion of samples with HLA loss before and after immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy. And so in this cohort, at least, uh, there's no significant difference between the two. And even looking numerically, the post uh, checkpoint inhibitor treatment is, is slightly lower. So we don't think there's, a, there's an effective kind of adaptive resistance going on in this, in this particular data set. So then we, uh, of course, combine that with TMB. I think that's an obvious thing to do. Uh, and so uh, it did stratify uh, patients uh, here in four groups. So the ones that do the best are in mutational burden with the HLA-1 locus intact. They do the best. Uh, seemingly combining any checkpoint inhibitor biomarker when you have the uh, mixed groups, either high TMB HLA-1 loss or low TMB and HLA intact, you're kind of in the middle there. Uh, and then uh, in red are the, the patients who do the worst. Their tumors are low mutational burden uh, and HLA-1 loss. Okay, so we did a Cox proportional hazards model to see what's uh, the interaction of these biomarkers. And so they were both uh, independent and statistically significant when you account for, for each other. Okay, so I've put this slide up because I'm going to take a hard left turn in, and talk much more about the natural history of tumor and immune interactions. So the first thing we wanted to do with a pan-cancer data set of HLA-1 loss is uh, let's see if we can really uh, add more data to the neoantigen hypothesis. And so what I'm showing here is, uh, is a waterfall plot, per se, of neoantigen loss. And so what we did is we predicted driver neoantigens. These are uh, mutinous cancer. And so they put the cancer in an interesting spot uh, because, one, it's driving the tumor, but, two, it's the antigen that the immune system is recognizing. And these are predicted neoantigens, I should say, by a computational method. And so what we see here is, uh, and so this, the way this waterfall plot works is uh, these two over here at the far left, uh, there's no enrichment uh, when we say in a sample with HLA-1 loss, is the presenting allele kept or is it lost? And so these two, uh, maybe the prediction algorithm got wrong, but you can see at the right end, there are many neoantigens which are statistically significant uh, where 
when you have HLA loss in that sample, yield is always lost. And so this adds more evidence, uh, clinical evidence, that uh, this hypothesis really is working in patients. And so uh, a number, just to highlight a couple, a number of KRAS antigens are up here. KRAS G12R, uh, KRAS G12C is somewhere in the middle here. Um, so quite a few uh, driver neoantigens there. Okay, other antigens that could be uh, seen by the immune system are viral antigens. So we're looking in, uh, in the top four bars are all viruses where the virus is what's driving the tumor. So there's a viral protein in that cell that's uh, the cause of oncogenic transformation. An HPV positive head and neck squamous cancer, this is uh, significantly higher rate of HLA-1 loss than in the HPV-negative cohort. We see the same in HPV-positive and minus, uh, plus and minus cervical cancer, EBV plus and minus gastric cancer, and then in nasopharyngeal cancer, the numbers are much smaller, so uh, it trends towards significance there. Interestingly, we see uh, in HPV-infected hepatocellular carcinoma, of course, this is uh, an infection where the inflammatory environment is what's driving the tumor. HPV per se is not the cause of oncogenic transformation. And there we don't see any effect uh, on HLA-1 loss. So again, kind of uh, reinforce this. And so uh, we also looked at the, the disease long tail, and I'll kind of take you through this. So if I you probably can't read all these uh, labels, but we did color code some tumors. So neuroendocrine tumors, which are generally uh, poorly inflamed and also in general have a low mutational burden, uh, tend to be at the low end of the scale. Uh, this one outlier at the top, it tends to have a mutation in 6P in a tumor suppressor. And so we think this HLA-1 loss is a, is a bystander event in that particular tumor. As you kind of think about increasing your mutational burden, you get to about two-thirds of the way up, you get non-small cell lung cancer, and then you get a big cluster of squamous cancers, which tend to have a higher mutation of uh, a lot of copy number aberrations in them. And then uh, something that surprised us when we, when we first saw it, but we've kind of uh, come up with some hypotheses as for why, is you go to an even higher mutational burden with skin cancers, and they're all in the lowest uh, range again. And so uh, going back to my immunology days, there's this idea called the Goldilocks principle. It's all over immunology. And so uh, bas the basic idea is if you're the tumor, uh, if there's no uh, immune response to you, if you don't have any neoantigens, there's no reason to lose HLA. If you have so many neoantigens that losing the maternal or the paternal allele doesn't help you evade the immune response, like you're a skin cancer, your dreams don't see loss, but then there's that middle sweet spot of lung cancer and squamous cancers where this mechanism is, is truly active. Okay, and then I put, uh, this is the current approvals of checkpoint inhibitors, just to put this up, that there's really no association with HLA loss with any disease where uh, these are approved. But I, I do wanna point out one, this uh, non-small cell lung cancer, this green diamond about two-thirds of the way up, even higher is renal cell cancer, this purple diamond here. And, and that kind of surprised me because renal cancer just seems to break all the rules. Um, I don't know what to do with it, but I, I wanted to point that one out. And so as I uh, wind down on time, uh, so that HLA-1 loss is mechanistically related to uh, neoantigen presentation and mutational burden, but also evolutionarily related to pdl one loss as a, a means of immune escape. Uh, here what I'm showing is if you look at the lower right bar, this is, uh, or box, this is a TMB low 
and PDL1 negative samples in non-small cell lung cancer. So this is a landscape diagram. And then you have the rate of HLA1 loss written in the slide and then also by color coding. And so what you see is you move from TMB low to TMB high, you have an increased rate of HLA1 loss. As you move from PDL1 negativity to PDL1 positivity, you also see an increased rate of HLA1 loss. If we look pan cancer, again, moving from TMB low to TMB high, there's an increased rate of HLA1 loss and also negative to positive in terms of PDL1 staining. Now, what's interesting, if you drill down, I don't have time to put 80 of these boxes up on the slide and go through them all. There are some tumors who have much stronger association to PDL1 and some that have a much stronger association to TMB. And we, ha we haven't quite teased out the biology of that, um, but I'm sure there's, there's lots to study. And then, again, just to highlight how renal cancer is the, the stepchild of uh, checkpoint inhibitor therapy, I don't know what to make of this plot at all. Um, so uh, with that in conclusion, and it's been a great conference, I'll, I'll end by saying I've shown you the, the FMI genomic data set, uh, really recapitulates known genomic predictors of response to NSCLC. And so using that big data set, uh, I showed you that HLA-1 loss stratifies survival of checkpoint inhibitor-treated patients uh, in that CGDB, and in addition, TMB may help further stratify those patients. Now, I only showed you treated patients, and of course, it would be nice, and we're working on uh, collecting those data sets. Uh, so the uh, pan-cancer, I think I've said this a couple times, that HLA-1 loss is associated with both TMB and PDL one for different, slightly different reasons. And then finally, this Goldilocks principle, we think, is, is an explainer of the patterns of HLA-1 loss pan-cancer, where from the tumor's perspective, if there's no immune assault on it, no neoantigens, there's no reason to lose HLA-1. If you have so many neoantigens that losing those three alleles doesn't help you, you also don't lose. There's that sweet spot right in the middle. And so uh, final acknowledgement slide of the, the conference. This is a great collaboration across FMI, the R&D, the medical, the data groups, and with Flatiron Health. I want to acknowledge Megan, who uh, created the HLA loss algorithm, and Karthik, uh, who did most of the clinical analysis. So thank you. Lee, thank you very much. That was very interesting. We, we are finishing slightly early because we've lost a speaker. Um, hopefully we'll find him somewhere. Um, so I think we do have time for questions. If anyone wants to um, ask Lee anything. Hi. Um, actually, just a comment that um, in the case of Merkel, and measures that um, you would potentially expect to see HLA loss and you don't, it could actually be at the transcriptional level, which wouldn't be picked up. And it's been described for those cancers where you have a limited number of critical antigens that are presented by in, in an allele-specific manner. So it could be transcriptional. And in case of Merkel, it's been shown. Absolutely. Uh, as, a, as a postdoc, I got my hands on a great cell surface. Mass Bay was one of the most variable proteins on the cell surface across cancers, definitely. Um, fantastic presentation. So in patients that you're seeing HLA loss, is there uh, evidence for NK, increased NK activity? Uh, the, the short answer is no, uh, because we, we're not a clinical trial provider. These are all kind of taken in the course of, uh, of therapy. So we don't... We don't Was there a signal? Can you, did you look for signals of NK biology? I would, I would love to. Uh, we don't have the data. These were all just DNA-sequenced uh, patients. 
I know where you're going, and I would love to do I that. I don't have these. It was only DNA. Yeah, it was only DNA. Um, how about NK inhibitors, for instance, HLAE? Have you looked at that? I don't think we've ever baited HLAE, and the, the tricky part with that is often it's the peptide that's in HLAE that determines whether the NK cell reacts to it, and so that's, I think, even even trickier problem. And then continuing the line of questioning. <laughs> um, since, interrogation. <laughs> this feels like my quals. <laughs> um, what about beta-2 microglobulin? And then the other one would be TAP, all of those in the pathway of antigen presentation. Yeah, so we're a little bit limited to what we've baited. Unfortunately, was baited on our heme assay and not on our solid tumor assay. So that is, uh, that is a problem we're hoping to fix. Um, the, the TCGA has some interesting associations with TAP in general. I think TAP is, and the other components of that pathway, uh, just tend to be mutated slightly less than B2M, say. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Lee. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the podcast from the IO360 2020 conference. The next IO360 meeting will take place virtually February 23rd through 26, 2021. For more information, visit www.io360summit.com.